Uh, we always have a lot of visitors uh, on Sunday mornings. I met several on the way in. It seems like I always meet uh, visitors when I come. And, and so if you're a visitor, it's important for me uh, that you know what we're doing uh, when we begin looking at a text. So we're looking at the book of John. And the reason that we're looking at the book of John is from time to time that you have to kind of pull back and go, what is the gospel of Jesus? What is the gospel? And, uh, of course, there's no clearer book about who Christ is and what he's accomplished than the book of John. That, so that's why we've been looking uh, at the book of John. Now, what's interesting is I was studying for the passage this week. Um, I realized uh, in my reading that there's only 20 days out of the life of Christ that John takes. Very interesting, isn't it? So you have the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what's amazing is you, have, you don't have just one gospel. You have three. Uh, they are kind of unfolding uh, the life of Christ. And then you have uh, the, the book of John, where, where John, the purpose of the book, it, it is historical, but it's ultimately showing the signs of Jesus, these miracles, to point ultimately to who he is in his work. Okay, And John says... That the reason he is writing the book is so that you today, if you're not a Christian, uh, that you might uh, uh, believe in Christ. And in believing in him, you might have eternal life. So John would say, and the Bible is very clear, that you either have eternal life this morning, you've been united to Christ who's been raised from the dead 2,000 years ago and he gave you the Holy Spirit and you're united to him and all things are new and you glory in who he is, or you don't. Uh, and the, and the Bible is not trying to be harsh about that. It's just stating you can know life through Jesus Christ. And so we come, uh, starting with chapter 12, the last, the, 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 so 12 to the rest of the book of John is really the last days of Christ, which is very interesting. And so last week we saw the triumphal entry. People singing Hosanna that would soon uh, say crucify him. And so we come to this very unusual part, uh, uh, place in John where there are Greeks who want to come see Jesus. And uh, through this we see uh, Jesus saying that he is here to, to glorify the Father and glorify himself. And so let's look and see uh, what we can learn from this text this morning. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. There will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, We've heard that from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things... He departed and hid himself from them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We do not have to walk in darkness. Everything that we need to know about why the world is the way it is and what you have done to restore this world, uh, the creation that becomes a new creation, the reason there's evil, and the way evil is defeated and conquered. Uh, let's all hear in your word. But Father in heaven, we thank you that you not only revealed yourself to us through the, through the prophets, but you have revealed yourself to us through your own son, who was born of a virgin to be our substitute, who lived 2,000 years ago and demonstrated uh, and revealed the Father to us. And now he's risen, and now we have the scriptures of the New Testament to help us understand all that the work of Christ meant. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of some this morning, everyone, uh, Lord, to see your glory and, and to marvel in your glory and to take that glory with them throughout their lives. Lord, I am a sinner, and I'm a weak man, and I speak to sinners who cannot hear apart from your grace, nor can I speak apart from your grace. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to work through the preacher and in the hearers, and we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Uh, if you are old enough, and I, I do mean old enough, then you have had significant events in your life that probably have affected the way you look at the world, maybe different than you did when you're growing up. Uh, it could be a traumatic event, something, some trauma has happened in, in your life that has reoriented how you're looking at the world, or it could be something as simple as going to a college class 
and, uh, and hearing a professor who, uh, in a good way, challenges uh, the ways that you were gr- brought up to believe, whether you were a Presbyterian or a Catholic or a Christian or an atheist or whatever you may be, a, a good professor is one who makes you think about uh, the way your family raised you and the, and, and the traditions that you've accepted and, and you've never thought about it before. Now, let me tell you about an event that happened to me several years before I was a Christian. I was about 15 years old, so if you're a 15-year-old boy, I was about your age when uh, basically what I thought about was uh, football, girls, uh, and football and girls, but ultimately I was thinking about me. And so um, one day I was, I was writing, I can't remember where I was, I was listening to the radio, and of course, you, you know, if you're a teenage boy, you're 15, 16 years old, you're listening to Jimi Hendrix, right? You're listening to rock and roll. And uh, so looking for a rock and roll station, I, I came across uh, this deep, mellow voice, and it was a guy named Earl Nightingale, kind of like the second-rate Paul Harvey. Uh, yeah, I don't know who Paul Harvey is, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> And so, so I, I just stop, and I begin to listen. I'm 15 years old, and I begin to listen to Earl Nightingale. And Earl Nightingale uh, started talking about, it's a little five-minute blurb. He started talking about the importance of having a vocabulary. And he said, it's impossible to think clearly. It's impossible to deal with the world and to relate to the world and to relate to others and understand the world if you don't have a vocabulary. The more words you have, the more you become precise on what you're feeling and thinking and how to express yourself or to understand other people. And uh, so I was kind of bothered by that. I started realizing how ignorant I was at 15 years old. Now, I know most of you 15-year-olds aren't ignorant as I was. But, see, you know what? I started looking up words. You know how you used to read novels or cliff notes? Excuse me. Uh, But I I can remember one of the first words I looked up. I looked up the word ambivalent. And I always thought the word ambivalent uh, meant, um, you know, to not really care about much. Now, I don't really care about that. But let me tell you what the word actually means. It means having mixed feelings or contradictory ideals about someone or something. Oh, now I understand. I can use that word. Uh, And somebody goes, oh, he knows what he's talking about versus using it the wrong way. But here's the point. The point without a vocabulary, you cannot even be intellectual. And when I say intellectual, I don't mean high-minded. I just mean using the brain that God gave you to be able to engage the world around you, to express your feelings, to say, hey, honey, tell me exactly how you're feeling. And then she uses a word that I go, oh, wow, you feel that bad or you feel that good, right? Now, my second experience with a vague understanding of words is after I have been in the ministry for about 30-something years. And what really has been impressed upon me is how many people who grow up in the church and grow up in the covenant community are very vague about words that are religious. They just see them as religious words. For instance, justification, sanctification, glorification expiation, propitiation. 
I mean, I could give you some other words. And, uh, and so if you don't really know what those words mean, um, basically, let me tell you what you'll become. You, you'll be, maybe you already become that. You're just a religious person. You're a moralistic person. And you're bored with it all. <laughs> right? And the reason you come here on Sunday morning is because that's what you do. But, but, you know, if you don't understand exactly what justification is or if you don't understand how many different views there are on justification, whether it's Roman Catholic or Nazarene or Arminian or Calvinist or whatever it may be, then you're just going to go, well, I guess that somehow means in some way that I'm okay with God. But it has no net sum game in your life. It doesn't affect how you live. It doesn't intersect your life in such a way that you're reading everything in your life through what God's Word says. <laughs> right? Probably why a lot of you don't share your faith. If you have a faith. It, you, you, it, because it just, you don't, you know, you're afraid somebody's going to ask you something uh, like, uh, Oh, you're a Baptist, why do y'all not infant baptize? Or you're a Presbyterian, why do y'all not infant baptize? Or whatever it may be, you see. And the reason we don't have these discussions is because we're kind of like me as a 15-year-old, just riding down the road thinking, oh, it was a great game, it was a great coach, it was a great get day, it was a great play. And it doesn't say much of anything. Now, why do I say this? Well, probably the religious word that's used the most is the word glory. All you got to do is read the Old Testament, the New Testament. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is about glory. The glory of man, like Nebuchadnezzar, and the glory of God. To know his glory, to live for his glory. Now, let me tell you something. When you say that word... A lot of times people's eyes roll up in the back of their head, right? Glory. Right? Glory. Glory, praise the Lord. And so you know there's something you sing in a song. And yet you have no idea what that means. But you see, let me, let me say to you, uh, as, as we get ready to come to our text, because this whole text is about glory, let me just say this. Glory is one of the most practical words there is because all of life is about glory you say okay so what does glory mean we've talked about this many times at redeemer but i'm going to throw it out there again you know what the word in the hebrew means kabod it literally means weighty it means something that has substance and so if you have a sheet of paper sitting on your desk and the wind comes in, it has no substance to it, and so it flies away. Just like Psalm 1, when it talks about the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, that the unbeliever is like chaff. What is the chaff? Well, the wheat was in the chaff. And they would come and they would fan the chaff, and the chaff would blow away, but the wheat would fall because there was a weightiness about it. So it's a very practical word. But you see, if you take a, a paperweight and you st uh, stick it on top of that paper, it has more glory than the paper. And so it doesn't just fly away. It causes that paper to stay where it is. Okay, now, okay, so you say, okay, that's what it means. It means to be weighty. Now, what does that have to do with you this morning? I I'm going to tell you what it has to do with everybody in here, whether you're Christian or not a Christian. And I certainly hope you're listening to this point. Because here's the point that I do want to make is that you 
are living for glory. Because you see, the thing that you're looking for is that your life, another word for glory is not only weighty, but meaning. So you're looking for meaning. That's why you married the person. They'll give me meaning. That's why you have children. And you know what? You, your children are your glory. And, and, and so uh, you want your kids to, to do well. And, and because if they do, then you know what? That's a reflection upon you. Right? And so you're wanting to know, is there any meaning in life? Does my life have meaning? Well, that is just true individually, but this is true of our culture. And we live in a culture uh, that used to uh, go to religion and God and being a Catholic or being a Reformed or uh, being a Hindu or something that says it is what informs this world. That the reason that we, uh, what informs us are things like virtues. There's these transcendent realities that are out there, you see. But now we live in a culture in the last 100 years, this is secular culture, says we don't need that. Uh, we'll, we'll come up with our own, uh, and they don't use the word virtues, if you know. You ever heard the word values? Value? You know the difference between a value and a virtue? Virtue is true in every world. Value is... You might spend $2 for a beer, or you might go, I don't like beer. So you spend nothing on the beer. But what might be valuable to you might not be value to me. Now, let me tell you, we are, we're in a cultural crisis because there's such polar extremes, aren't there, in our court? Who's going to say what is valuable? Life in the womb or a woman's choice? What is it? Now, how are those two things going to come together? And so everything is, is a glory issue. Because you see, the fact is, here's the reality. If God is not who he says he is in the scripture, that he is the God of glory, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom and his power and his might and his justice and his holiness and his goodness and his truth, then you see, there is no meaning. Please understand this. I mean, what are you living for? So, so here's what I want to just want to look at a little bit this morning and that is a, here's my proposition if I had one God is certainly concerned for his glory and he has to be because of who he is right because he is glorious for him to think any other way would mean that he would cease to be God you, he's not an egomaniac that's just his nature is glorious but until you understand the glory of God as he is revealed in the person of Christ dying on the cross, you will never be transformed. You will never know the great life. And your whole life will always be revolved around something else. You will relegate God to the suburbs of your life. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Does it inform everything about how you live and what you do? Does it inform what you do with your money, how you do your job, how you, what you think about success or not having success? This is so practical. It's hard to make word glory practical here. But here's, here's the, so here, that's kind of what we want to talk about. So I guess my question to you this morning as we look at our text is what brings you glory? What do you center your life around? I'm going to tell you, 
That thing will either control you or you will control it. If, if, uh, if, uh, again, if your children are your glory, I'm going to tell you, either you're going to control them and be overbearing and they can't ever grow up to be who, who they are, but you want them in this school and you want them in that school and you want them to be doctors or lawyers and you have all these things that you want for them because it builds you up and so you control them. You're not really concerned about your children. On the other hand, if you're not a control freak, then your children will control you. If they're your glory, then your whole life goes up and down based on whether your children like you or not. For crying out loud, your kids aren't going to like you a lot, right? And you're supposed to be the grown-up. You're supposed to go, well, I don't care if you like me, but, but I love you, and I'm going to... Well, I can't say spike on, on the Internet now. I'll get in trouble, thrown in jail. No, nah, you can, you know, I'm going to spike you. All right, so here's the three things uh, to see in the time that we have left. First off, the glory of God is revealed at Calvary. The glory of God was revealed 2,000 years ago, and if you could get on a time machine and go back and get out of that time machine on the hour that Jesus is speaking about, you would see Almighty God in the flesh, in shame, being rejected by His Father on the cross. And you see all that darkness that takes place. And the second thing is that the, the glory of God is now revealed to all mankind that's going around the whole world. And His glory is being revealed today, but there's a condition. And then the final thing is, is seeing the glory of God that I think really transforms your life. It really makes your life different. You're not a good person. You're not a moral person. Uh, you're a different person. You're different. Why are you different? Because when you look to Christ and what he has done and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, it's everything. He is everything. I think that's what the Bible's constantly saying. Okay, so here's the first thing. The glory of God is revealed at Calvary. 2000, 2000. Notice what he says in verse 23. If you look at verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has finally come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, here's what's really interesting. Remember last week we were looking at the triumphal entry? And all the crowds are singing Hosanna. And of course, it also said they were interested in Jesus' signs and they were interested in Lazarus. So they're kind of all there and they're, they're somewhat uh, ambivalent uh, as to who Jesus really is. But the Pharisees, they're seeing what, what seems to them to be uh, their loss of control. And so they say, see how the whole world goes after them. But what the Pharisees didn't know is that the very people of God were going to reject him two or three days later. And Jesus knows that. But here's what's amazing. Do you know that in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, he tells Abraham that through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. All the nations. Paul picks up on that in Galatians chapter 3 
when Paul says, it says seed, singular, meaning Christ. So what do we have in our text? In verse 20, notice who comes to him. I think it's very important. The Greeks come, don't they? And these guys are representing the Gentiles. Because you see, the word had been out there for hundreds of years through the Septuagint text, the, the translation of the Old Testament and the Greek, the whole world's speaking Greek, and the whole world is hearing about this religion of, of the God who's revealed himself and that there's a coming Messiah. So they want to know who he is. And so they ask for a hearing. They come. It's interesting. If you notice it, it come to Philip. That's a Greek name. These guys might have known Philip because Philip was raised in the area where the Greeks lived and was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. But as, that, as it may be, what you have here is um, a shift. And, and now we're getting ready to come to the opening up of the gospel to the world. But notice how Jesus responds. How does he respond? He responds uh, in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, throughout the book of John, he's kept saying the hour is not yet. The hour is not yet. It's not time. It's not time. I could show you through the passages. I don't have time to do that. But now, he says, here these guys are coming. And now it's time. The hour has come. So that the Son of God might be glorified. And glorify his Father. Now, did he speak to the Greeks or not? There's a lot of debate about that. But it seems like he didn't. And it seems that the reason he responds the way that he responds here is to say, it is not until after my death will they understand. In fact, it's not going to be until after my death that any any of the disciples understood. But now is the hour. And the hour's come. And then the way you see that he's talking about his death is he gives this example. That unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus is saying the hour, he's been saying it over and over again, has to do with his death. And now that hour has come. Man, could you imagine? It's time. I had to go see a doctor this week. And uh, I love doctors. But I don't like taking my shirt off that much. No, seriously, it's just like, man, I'm going to the doctor. And, of course, he, you know, and I was, I was my, maybe going to get some bad news. I got good news. But I didn't want to go see that doctor. And I was kind of agonizing over it because I'm a chicken. You know, I want to be healthy, and, uh, you know, I'm only 63 years old. And, and I'm thinking that guy might go, hey, man, I hope you enjoyed your life. Now imagine our Lord Jesus. And here's his glory. The glory is 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Now, you say, well, how would I know if I really believe this? Well, I'm not asking if you believe it. I'm asking if, you, if it's your glory. 
It's interesting. Notice, and I don't have time to spin on this, but notice he, he, began, he immediately turns it to the disciples. And he says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What is he saying? I, and I want to say this later. I want to get ahead of myself. But what he's saying is, is uh, hey, listen, here's the ones who are going to understand this. Those who want to be with me. That's how you know if you're a Christian. Not if you have this vague understanding of the glory of God. Okay, the glory of God. What time's the ball game? No, 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 no. All of a sudden, your mind starts getting wrapped around that. And you consider the life that you wanted to live now is inconsequential to the fact that you want to serve this person who's going to do what he's going to do. It's the most important thing. And you know what? Not only do you get to be with him, that's what it says, because you want to serve him. If you want to serve him, you're going to be with him. But you don't want to serve him unless you understand the gospel. But then he says, and, and my father will honor him. That's, that's what it means. Okay, well, that's the first thing. Is the glory of God is revealed at Calvary. Now, here's the second thing. This glory of God is now revealed. This glory is now revealed to all of mankind. It can be revealed to you today. Not just in some vague notion. Okay, yeah, uh, um, I'm supposed to, yeah, I believe these things. But to where it begins to, remember the word I use, transform? I, I, we use these words a lot. I, I'm sorry. I, I, let me think if I can think of another word besides transform. But you, all of a sudden you start having joy in your life. And you're just like, no matter what, I, I know I have seen Christ. I have met Christ. It is changing my life. Now, it's, it's available to the world. Now, where do we see that? Notice what he says in verse 31. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now let me tell you, Jesus, for all of John and throughout the Gospels, he he spends a great deal of time revealing his person, that he's God, right? All the miracles. He walked on the water. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He fed the 5,000. You see? Now, again, this is not religious history. This is what the uh, liberal theologians call the Heil Geschitzka. Holy history. No, this is real history, Okay. And, and all those things that he was doing, including the resurrection of Lazarus, were all saying who he is, that he has the power over death. But now, he has to submit to death. So you have his person, and then you have his work. And, when he, and what is his work? He says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then I will draw all men to myself. It's not just for the Jews. They, they, wanted, uh, they wanted a Messiah who would, uh, you know, uh, yeah, we love you, God, but thank you for the chicken in my pot. That's what I really want. 
And, and you see, if you don't understand what Jesus is saying here, Jesus Christ will always be an addition to your life. He, he's, a, he's important to your life. But you have, you have not seen the magnitude of what he meant when he said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And notice he says that at the lifting up, there is judgment. And the judgment first is in Satan who has ruled. There's evil in the world. And now he has come, this great king, to vanquish evil. That we can have a promise one day there'll be no more Hitlers, there'll be no more Stalins. And not only that, the great promise to you this morning that that, that which binds you, your anger, your hatred, your pettiness, your demandingness, that can be broken as well. How? Because you see, if you're honest with yourself, you know that down deep there's something terribly wrong with you and me. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I still see that there, I look forward to that day, you see, when there'll be the, the, the full um, uh, redemption. But you see, Jesus, according to what he says, is when he was lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. The judgment against Satan and the drawing of men to himself. Now, he says all men. Notice he says all men. Now, there's two ways I think he means that, and I want you to hear this. One is, um, it is that all nations, no matter whether you're uh, Jew or Gentile, no matter whether you're black or white or, 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 or Asian, it, ma- it makes no, no difference that God is going to call all the peoples to himself. Now, let me ask you something. Is, is him being crucified 2,000 years ago? And him saying that all men will be drawn to myself. Is that being fulfilled in our very presence 2,000 years later? Yeah, is darkness being beaten back? It's still there, but it's being beaten back. Why? Because men and women are hearing what it meant that he was lifted up. And what did it mean that he was lifted up? Well... It simply means this, that we needed someone to live the life we don't live. And I don't live that life. You don't live that life. And if you're not a Christian, you have to ask yourself. Go ask your spouse. Hey, do you think I'm a great person? They might say, well, you know, sometimes. But, uh, but to be honest with you, sweetheart, I think you're selfish. Sometimes. Sometimes I think you, you have no idea how much you hurt me. You don't know how much you wound me. But what... But, what do we do with that? How does that go away? Well, you see, there's real evil in the world, and we ourselves are the perpetrators. But you see, because God is good and merciful, he had to send his son to live the life we don't live. And then when he was lifted up, he became a curse for us. That was it in the book of Numbers. Remember that? The serpent was lifted up. And all the people of God had to do that had rebelled against him and complaining and griping. You ever done that? This is not fair. This is not right. Let me tell you, anytime you start thinking that way, you are not understanding the glory of God and Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Now, let me tell you what it cost Jesus. Notice what he said. 
Notice what he says in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come into the world. So he's drawing all men uh, to himself. Now how does he draw men to himself? Let me tell you, if Christ died just as as an example, then it makes no sense. But you see, if Christ died because there had to be death in place of someone else, it makes all the sense in the world. Now, here's the majesty and glory of God. He did that in weakness. Just use your imagination for a moment. If the the God of the universe has spoken, the whole world was created, the way that he conquers Satan and our sin is he submits to death on our behalf because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you what. It's, it's, it, this truth is impacting people from all around the world. But let me tell you, there's another way he says, I'll draw all men to myself. Do you know that you're going to stand before God one day anyway? Do you know that Philippians says that because he is the king of glory who came and humbly as a lamb was slain for his people to reject that and to go, I will live my own life, I will live for my own glory, which, by the way, how's that working for you? I love me. (laughs) And you're always demanding, oh, my gosh, there's no glory about you. There's no weightiness about you because that's all you do. But, but you see, if you reject this gospel, then the scripture says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Well, that's the glory of it. Now, the third thing is you've got to do something with this. Notice uh, what he says, so that we not think, when Jesus says, I'll draw all men to myself, which I think... He's the one that draws us. Notice he says in verse 35, and I close on this, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Earlier that, he said, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You know what? I I, I feel terrible sometimes because I wish every time I preach, people would be converted. I do. Hey, pastor, I need to talk to you. But you know what I've had to realize? It's not, I, you know, I can preach them blue in the face. Even Jesus, he preached, but did everybody believe? No. So he, he is the one who draws. But notice what he says to you this morning. I think I've told you the truth. I'm thinking, I, I think, <laughs> telling that Christ is the light of the world. He's the hope of glory. He died for you. Golly. But you have to do something with it. You need to respond to the light while there's light. Because you see, when the darkness comes, uh, you will stumble. You'll continue to stumble in the darkness. Now, how do you know? And I want to close on this. How do you know if you have seen his glory? Is it some vision? Did Hal Farnsworth have a vision the night he was converted? Nope. Uh, is it some uh, super duper uh, spiritual experience? No, no, nope. 
Let me how you know, tell you how you know when you have beheld his glory. It's when by God's spirit you see who he is and what he has done. And now your whole life is responding around him and not all those other things. Your job, your career, uh, the college you're going to go to, uh, the grades, you know, your weight loss, how beautiful you are. Because all that goes away. But you see, when you behold the eternal one who's given us a new world to come after this world is over, all of a sudden, your whole mind begins to wrap around that. And you see everything in light of his resurrection. You see the whole world through him. Why? Because who's ever loved you like this? I mean, the whole idea of glory and performance is acceptance. Isn't it? If I perform for my husband, he'll accept me. And then he won't be mad at me. If I perform for my wife, then she will, uh, she, she will be nursing and caring. If I do this, if I do that, my friends will like me. I'll get in this group. You see, when you know that you're already in, because he put you in, then you behold his glory. Let's pray. Lord, bless this uh, time as we come to communion. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us with an undying love. And you even love the Pharisees and those who would reject you. You wept over Jerusalem. Father, would you reveal your glory to someone this morning to see that no one will ever love them like this. That in Christ, God remains both just and the justifier of them that believe. And we ask it in your name. Amen.